This past week, my wife and I took a trip, 24-hour trip into New York City, and I drove past something that was quite familiar to me, something I passed hundreds, maybe even more than a thousand times, and it now looks like, now looks like this. It's called the Meadowlands View Hotel. I didn't know that was the new name. It didn't used to look like this. I first became familiar with this hotel. I think it's in Weehawken or Hoboken, right outside the Lincoln Tunnel, because as a youngster, it really caught my eye. They had a big sign right by the side of the highway that said, Rooms for Rent by the Hour. (laughs) And mirrors on the ceiling. And I have the faintest recollection as a child of turning to my parents and saying, That's silly. Why would someone want to sleep for an hour? Wouldn't they be tired? So I can only imagine the countless numbers of embarrassing conversations that have begun with my mirrors on the wall. That's weird. (laughs) So um, that's the sex taboo part of this message today. Let's turn to the death part. Um, (laughs) Today's message is the first in our summer spirit flicks series, and it also is about a journey that brings forth memories. Spirit Flicks, our summer series here at Wellsprings, we've been doing since the very beginning of Wellsprings, about the meaning that we find in movies, both current and some classics. And the movie for today is this, Coco, from the geniuses at Pixar. It takes place mostly in a small Mexican town, and then with a little leap and imagination and faith in the afterlife. I have to tell you, it feels like resistance in the best way in this time of resurgent nationalism to have a movie that is about 10 to 15 percent in Espanol and makes no apologies for it whatsoever. And if we don't speak Spanish or like me, you just speak un poquito, you have to keep up anyway. The core aspect of Coco is about Dia de los Muertos the Day of the Dead, the very sacred Mexican tradition that has analogs in many different other cultures as well, too, including something that we do here at Wellsprings at the end of October. It is an altar, an ofrenda, if you see one here, a traditional Mexican ofrenda, an altar to the beloved departed. The teaching goes, traditionally, that on that day, Dia de los Muertos, the dead can pass back through into the land of the living if their loved ones serve up offerings. So the main character, if you go to the next slide, please, the main character is that little boy with his guitar. That's Miguel. He comes from this family in which, you know, we all come from families like this to a certain extent. You'll hear the family lore, and sometimes the family lore is about things that we don't talk about. The family lore in Miguel's family is that his great-great-grandfather abandoned the family to pursue a life of music. And they never talk about him, and Miguel is prohibited from playing music, even though it is the thing that he wants more than anything else. And so I don't want to give too much of this movie away if you haven't seen it, because there's some pretty cool twists in it, and it is a wonderful movie, as so many Pixar films are. So one thing leads to another, and Miguel finds himself in the afterlife. And the afterlife has these rules. On the day of the dead, he passes the other way. 
And what happens is that he has only that one day to make it back to the land of the living or he will find himself dead. He won't be able to return. Now, I don't want to give away the plot, but it hinges on the name of the movie. It's Coco, Miguel's living great-grandmother who is very clearly coming to the end of her life. What's most important, you'll see this here, that's the character Hector. He's a skeleton. He is dead. We all have different feelings, folks. We're here to accept them all. See, Hector, the challenge that he is facing, and this is the most poignant part of the movie, the most poignant part is that Hector in the afterlife is reaching the point nearly where no one living remembers him. And what happens in this world is that when no one living remembers you after you die, you die a second time. And you kind of are joined with the larger community of the whole universe. This movie is really about finding personal identity, about remembering who we are. And what I love so much about this film is that we find who we are in our relationships. There's a Quaker teacher named Parker Palmer, who a number of us at Wellsprings are familiar with. And he said the minute we scratch the surface of the question, who are you? Who are we? Who am I? He said it yields to a whole other question, whose we are. Who do we belong to? Who are we connected to? This is how so many of us find our personal identity. It is in this profound and challenging mixture of recognizing our own impermanence and also our interdependence. As Frank Turner would say, it looks like this. Now, Frank Turner is maybe next to Bruce Springsteen, who you hear more about in just a little bit today. Frank Turner is perhaps my most beloved musician still playing today. These are words from a song of his that I wanted to get tattooed on my body. I say wanted because I cannot find a tattoo artist to do it because they all keep telling me that is too many words. <laughs> That's too much. I guess I will accept this. But I place one foot before the other confident because I know that everything we are right now is everything that was. That Watt Tyler, Woody Guthrie, Dostoevsky, and Davy Jones are all dissolved into the ether and have crept into my bones and all the cells and all the lines upon the backs of both my hands were once carved into the details of two feet upon the sands that we remain. We are remembered. And all the things we love will be washed away in the rain. We remain. Thich Han would call this living in the place of impermanence and also interbeing. The place in which we recognize everything changes in our lives and we are all born to die. And at the most profound level, we belong to each other. This is the crux of this movie. 
this is where this movie hinges upon. And I want to give away the plot twist. But it's about a song. A song, remember I mentioned Hector, the skeleton, who is about to die that second death in the afterlife. When Miguel returns from the land of the living, this is a Pixar film, there is a happy ending here. <laughs> the child does not stay dead. It hinges on the song, Remember Me. And Coco, Miguel's great-grandmother, sings it. And Hector is remembered. He does not disappear into the ether. Now, because this is a Pixar movie, and they do the research, and they're pretty smart cookies, you might know something about the connection between memory and music, especially if you know someone, if you love someone, who may be suffering from the cognitive declines that are associated with aging, Alzheimer's or dementia. dementia. And there's really amazing research that shows people, that has revealed folks who have forgotten almost everything about who they are. And they'll be played a song that was part of their childhood, of their adolescence. The research actually says if you can find a song when that person was between 18 and 25 years of age. I mean, to see this research in action, if you've seen the videos, there's been a lot of reporting about this. It's like a light goes on in someone's heart. Someone who just a moment before may have looked dull and glassy-eyed. And that next moment is smiling, is alive. Now, not all mental health or cognitive interventions work, so this isn't magic, but they find regularly that it does work. And it is profoundly therapeutic. To see the light go on in someone's heart where had it appeared to be out entirely is miraculous. Which brings me back full circle to why I was in New York, why my wife and I were in New York this past week. I mentioned Bruce Springsteen. We were seeing Springsteen on Broadway. And I could, but I won't, tell you about why this was so amazing. Because it was so much more than just a great artist coming to perhaps, I mean, he turns 70 next year. He can't do this forever, and yet he is this force of nature. It is so much more than just an artist telling his story as he nears the last, or already is in the last third of his life. It is a love letter to the living, to his dead, and it is beautiful. And I've got to tell you what was the most profound part of this for me. He plays a song that's not one of the most well-known songs. If you're a Deep Cuts fan of Bruce Springsteen like I am, you know this song. It's called The Wish. And it's a song that he wrote about 20 years ago for his mother. His mother who was the stabilizing force in his life. His father who he loved very much as well too. His father who died decades ago. But his father who had undiagnosed depression. And it really impacted Bruce's childhood in a negative way. His mom, his mom was the rock of the family. 
there's one thing that Bruce's mom loved, that Adele Springsteen loves, dancing. And there's this song, The Wish, in which he talks about wanting to dance with his mom. Now, that's beautiful enough anyway. And he does this song on the piano, and it's very quiet, almost contemplative. But then he shares something that actually I did not know, although I saw. I was witness to this. This was at a Philadelphia concert about six years ago. He had Adele come onto stage and dance with him. I was there for that. This is not my picture, but I was there for that. What he shared this last Wednesday is that his mother, 93 years old, is seven years into her own battle with Alzheimer's. And her mind and her memory are starting to disappear. But if you put on music that she knows, she will dance. And the light will come back into her life. We are, what's the words, miraculously and fearfully created, folks. That somehow beyond language, beyond even memory, there is something that calls us back to a piece of who we were, helps us remember who we are. Sometimes even bigger than our capacity to remember a coherent story about ourselves. I would also say that this helps us remember to not just look back, but for those of us who are here, those of us who are right now, those of us who still may have a certain level of our cognitive functioning, it helps us to live forward, to remember who we want to be. This is a colleague of mine. That's the beard, that's him. And that's younger. Matt Tittle. I have never met Matt. He has been a minister and a colleague for decades. He was a naval intelligence officer. I remember a number of years ago him saying on Facebook, listen, folks, listen, Memorial Day is not Veterans Day. <laughs> Memorial Day is specific to honoring those who have fought in our armed forces and have died in the service of our armed services. Matt Tittle is dying. Maria, you talked about what Facebook can do, what social media can do. We already know all the stories and all the ways in which social media can deform our lives, right? Can get us taking each other apart, bring out our meaner sides. But social media, as you testified to, also has this capacity to connect us in amazing ways. And Matt Tittle, who has the same exact cancer, the geoblastoma, that Senator McCain has, he just reached 16 months. He doesn't have much more time. And Matt Tittle, who I have never met in the flesh, is sharing with all of us, with his Facebook friends, his dying process. And I thought I'd share part of it with you. Two weeks ago, I entered hospice, and 
have described some of my experiences here. As always, life has its simultaneous triumphs and tragedies. Today, I was blessed to have lunch out with family and friends. I can still stand and can feed myself. Caring for myself in other ways is becoming more difficult as my disease progresses. But here I am, loved by so many. What else is there except the honor of returning that love? Next slide, please. April 24th, just a little after that post. I am sorry to say, friends, that I fear my time is very near. I can feed myself and can stand occasionally, but can't care for myself otherwise. I'm hoping for two more weeks, but I'm not confident with a month. My right side deficits and several other cognitive dysfunctions have spread too rapidly. But I'm here tonight and expect to be so in the morning. Much love to you all. And one more from recently. Three weeks ago, I gave myself two more, but specifically not four. But I'm confident that I'll make it to four and beyond, whether from God or from nature. Your outpouring of love and support have kept me going. Thank you. Matt just posted something this morning that I didn't have time to make into a slide. And the decline, the inevitable decline, has begun again. He doesn't have all the time in the world. None of us do. This is how we are remembered. Put back together when life takes us apart. This is how Matt is paying forward his death. By sharing it by facing it and not turning it away and not hiding. My life has been negatively impacted. Indeed, the very course of my life has been altered by people I have loved who have died suddenly without warning. So I have a certain aspiration to want to know that I am going to die. It is perhaps my heart's deepest wish. And you know what? I don't necessarily know that that's going to happen. What I do know is this, is that I want to die like Matt is dying. The lesson is clear. It is love and our relationships that reconstitutes us, remembers us here and in whatever form comes next. A number of years ago, about four years ago, Reverend Lee and I led a series here at Wellsprings called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. If you ever read that book, it is profoundly transformative if we let its wisdom seep into us. And what comes up over and over and over again in those regrets and the story of those who are dying by this beautifully attentive hospice nurse, it is all about relationship. It is all about remembering whose we are and honoring those connections and not waiting until we get to the end of this life but to make this real today the truth is right for most of us save for the most infamous or the most famous the most infamous being those who have destroyed many lives and the most justifiably famous being those who have saved a lot of lives most of us are eventually going to be forgotten, remembered for a time, 
and then forgotten. I think this is just the universe's way of making space for new life. We are impermanent and we are interdependent. We inter are. We inter be. Today, may we allow the wisdom, the difficult wisdom, of the impermanence of our lives to seep right down into our bones. And ultimately remember that these aren't our bones even. These are life's bones. And more importantly, life's heart. The same heart that beats in all of our chests right now in this moment. May we recognize that likeness, life's likeness, inside of each and every one of us. Amen. May you live in blessing. Would you pray with me? In the shouts and the cries of new life, in the silences of the moments that have no words, May we attune our ears, attune our souls, attune our hearts to that deep listening for what is always unalterably true, for what stands this moment and has stood for every moment that has been or ever will be. That here is this life. Right now, somehow miraculously, it has taken on the form of us. And someday it will stop taking on the form of us. And still life will flow. Flow on in an endless song. Gathering up our sadness. Gathering up our joy. Gathering up our broken hearts. Gathering up our full hearts. Gathering up all of it. All of it. May we recognize that there is not an all that is in all and an all that is in each, but we are already that all. Amen.